Hey everybody, it's Randy Kugler back with episode number four of Racing with RK. We're going to do a battle at the Brickyard wrap-up, and we're going to add more history to the story of the history of WKA. We're going to introduce the Super Speedway in this episode. But first, let's talk about the fourth annual battle at the Brickyard. Some Something that because of this pandemic, we weren't really sure there was going to even be at one time, but uh, everything came together. There was a great turnout. I was able to work with a young man by the name of Caleb Smock. Caleb and I shared the public address announcing duties over the weekend. Caleb's a 20-year-old out of Evansville, Indiana, and he currently announces at Whiteland Raceway Park as well as uh, some of the races at Newcastle. And he is very talented. And I'll tell you, he made me step up my game this weekend. We laughed, but at the end of the weekend, neither one of us had much of a voice left. But we gave it everything we could. We left nothing for the imagination. We just went, got after it and uh, just had a blast. And, and I was really, really happy with how things turned out. So, Caleb, it was so much fun working with you, and I hope we work together again real soon. I also want to mention a place that I stopped for lunch on Thursday with some of the USAC crew called the Mug and Bun. It has been in Speedway, Indiana forever. It's uh, just off of uh, the main street in Speedway, about a half a mile. They've got great sandwiches, homemade root beer, and if you want to just go somewhere and have a nice lunch, get you an Indiana pork tenderloin, it is a great place. It's nothing fancy, but the food is fantastic, and the pricing is like you went back in time because the pricing is so uh, so uh, low and inexpensive, but the quality of the food is great. The Mug and Bun in Speedway, Indiana. I want to thank Mike Burrell and Rick Folks and Jake, Jason uh, Burgess and all of the USAC team for allowing me to be part of the, uh, the USAC team for these events. It was a long weekend. It was, uh, you know, at times it was a tough weekend. We had a couple spills and Got some people injured. Hopefully, uh, they're all on the road to recovery. But um, some unbelievable racing. And we'll just go through some of the results real quick. In the 206 medium and 206 heavy class, Elmer Edmondson was a double winner. Brought home two bricks over the weekend. And both times, he eked out victories over Eric Fagan. So Eric was right there with him every step of the way. In Iami Masters, and also in 175 Masters, John Crow was the winner. He uh, had a narrow victory over Ryan Sparowski in Miami Masters, but in 175 CC Masters, he dominated. Lance Lane was the class of the field in 125 CC Masters, and Josh Lane had a solid victory over Race Liberante in 125 CC Shifters. So the DR Cart team with Josh Lane and Lance Lane uh, was, um, was victorious over the weekend at the Battle at the Brickyard, and Don Gilbo was smiling from ear to ear. Great, uh, great job by these drivers, and uh, truly just a good, uh, good run by everybody. Ignite Senior, Evan Stommer was the winner with a .128 second win over Jordan Burnlore. Camden Gruber had a race-long battle with Violent Townsend, came out on top, a .283 second victory for Camden Gruber in 206 Junior. At Ignite Junior, Isaac Wells chased Reed Sweeney the entire race 
and took him at the end, uh, a last lap pass to take the win in Ignite Jr. In FK100 Jr., it was a four-card battle between Sam Corey, Danny Deselski, Tim Steele, and Camden Gruber, but Sam Corey came out on top in an abbreviated race because of a red flag situation. They called it at 10 laps. Sam Corey coming out as your winner. Matt Darlison beat Addison Ionello in lap traffic. They were nose to tail for the entire race. They came up on some lap traffic, and uh, Matt made the right move at the right time in Yamaha Jr. and brought home the victory over Addison Ionello. In Yamaha Sr., Adam Maxwell, a half a second victory over Blake Korth. Yamaha Masters, Mike Dittmer nips Michael Welsh right at the finish. Really close finish for Michael Dittmer. In FK100 Senior, it was a race-long battle between Chase Jones and Luca Mars. Four one-thousandths of a second victory for Chase Jones. And the 206 Masters class winning brick number five, five-time champion at the Battle of the Brickyard, Gary Lawson, as he had the help of Jeff Dolian throughout the whole race. The two of them broke away in the beginning and gapped the field, but in lap traffic, Gary made the right move with two laps to go and got about a 10-car length advantage on Jeff, and Jeff couldn't reel him back in. And Iami Sr., Finnegan Bailiff, a very impressive win, two and a half seconds over Elliot Bidzinski. So a good run for the Trinity Karting Group team. And the 175cc shifter class, Devin Smith Hardin wins a battle with um, Race Liberante and AJ Myers. AJ falling out at the end. Those two had a great battle. Race Liberante comes home in second. So that wraps up my report on the battle at the Brickyard again. There's something about being at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that's just like, uh, you just you can't explain it. But it really is important. This year was a lot different. We had to have our temperatures taken every day. Masks were mandatory at all times. And in the wake of the Battle at the Brickyard, on Tuesday after the race, the announcement came out from Roger Penske that the Indianapolis 500 for 2020 will be run without spectators. Wouldn't it be something if the last race that allowed fans was the battle at the Brickyard? And it could be, unfortunately. So a tough uh, <clears throat> tough break for the city of Speedway, Indiana, and the city of Indianapolis for sure, and just IndyCar fans in general. Even watching the race, it's just going to be weird to see the Indy 500 with nobody in the stands. But if a race, an IndyCar race with nobody in the stands is better than no IndyCar race at all, for sure. Okay, so let's move on to WK history and let's just recap where we've been the last time we talked. We brought you up to speed how WK was formed and how the first couple of years, the Sprint program and the Enduro program kind of really got things going. We talked about Dick Wilson opening the doors up at Barnesville in order to have the Winter Nationals under the WK banner. And Ben Ray Griffith handing the keys over to WK at, at uh, Danville, Virginia, Virginia International Raceway, VIR, to run the first ever WK Enduro. Both races were highly successful, and because of it, WK was up and running. A couple years down the road, a gentleman in Florida by the name of Joe Grubbs, 
who was a carding enthusiast in Florida, reached out to my dad. And they got to know each other and actually became great friends. In fact, Joe served under my dad as vice president for many years and was a great supporter, a great ally of my father's, and did so much for the WKA. But he reached out to my dad and he said, he said, George, I've got a contact that knows Bill France. And I think we can get go-karts in Daytona International Speedway. And my dad said, wow, that would be huge. What do we need to do? Joe says, I'll arrange the meeting. Just come to Daytona. And you have to understand at that point, my dad was a big fan of the Daytona International Speedway and the Daytona 500. As a kid, my first Daytona 500 was 1963. And I'll never forget Johnny Rutherford driving Smokey Unix number 13 uh, Chevrolet one of the fastest cars on the track and darn near won the race. Um, those memories of, Na of Daytona back in the day when I was a kid uh, are, were just amazing. The racing back then was phenomenal. And with cars that didn't really have any aerodynamics. But I could talk about that for hours. Maybe that's for another episode. Getting back to the matter at hand, my dad was very familiar with Daytona International Speedway. But he never met. Mr. France. And I'm talking Bill France Sr. here. I'm talking the founder of NASCAR. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Joe Grubbs arranges this meeting. My dad comes to Daytona and my dad and Joe Grubbs sit down with Bill France Sr. and introduce him to the sport of go-kart racing. There was a key ingredient to that meeting that to this day I'm sure is still a fan of the WK and karting. And that person's name was Jim France. Jim was Bill Sr.'s brother. Or, I'm sorry, Bill Sr.'s son. He was Bill Jr.'s brother. Jim France was kind of like the silent partner in NASCAR. He was the one behind the scenes that was so critical in the early years of helping NASCAR grow, especially in the as time went on and Bill Sr. got older and less involved. He was uh, a huge help to Bill France Jr. Jim France knew about karting. In fact, truth be known, he'd raced a few karts in his day under a different name because he didn't want to draw attention to who he was. He was a very humble guy and still is, but was very smart and very influential when it came to what Bill Sr. wanted to do about this decision of bringing these little go-karts to this giant speedway. Well, the meeting was a success. And Bill France Jr. said, you know what? I'm sorry, Bill France Sr. said, you know what? We're bringing go-karts to Daytona. And I believe it was 1974, the first enduro race at Daytona International Speedway was held. Huge turnout. Jim France was hands-on, making sure that things went the way they should, making sure that everybody was left with a good impression so that it would not be the only time the carts would come to Daytona. And obviously, there was a good impression because to this day, carts are coming to Daytona. And in future podcasts, we'll talk about how that evolved into a sprint track, into dirt racing, and just basically what kicks off 
all the excitement of February. In December, we have Daytona Kart Week. We meaning the WKA. We started it in 74, 75, don't hold me to that, but in 74, 75 it started and it grew. And not long after that, in the old Memorial Stadium, right behind where Halifax, Halifax Hospital sits now, about a mile from the speedway, there were dirt races and a ton of go-karts. So getting back to that meeting, everything went well. We have our first race at Daytona. It's a success, and we know we've started something great. But there's more. Jim France, or Jimmy as my dad would call him, and they were great friends, and I got to know Jimmy as well, and he was an awesome guy. He said, you know, we got this track in Talladega. And we're always looking at bringing more events and more excitement and more people to Talladega to see the place, to build our customer base. And we've got a 4.1 mile road course that runs the oval plus runs inside of the track. We need to bring the go-karts to Talladega. It wasn't but a couple years later, we had our first Enduro race. We didn't say road race back then. We said Enduro race. We had our first enduro race at Talladega. And it ran for a long time. Eventually, the road course at Talladega closed down. The racing there stopped. Entries started to wane a little bit in Talladega because it was a pretty good hike for people at the time of year we had to have it. But there was a stretch run there that we had some racing in Talladega, enduro racing, highly successful. And one thing I want to mention about that, and I go back to Jim France. Every Talladega race, Jim France would meet my dad and the WK team at the Alabama International Motor Speedway. Donna Frysmith, which did the registration and credentials for the Daytona 500, did the registration and credentials for the WK races at Talladega and Daytona for that matter. That's how committed, that's how involved the Daytona International Speedway and the France family was to WK and still are to this day. Jim Hunter, who's in the NASCAR Hall of Fame as well as Jim France, and of course Bill Sr. is in there as well, but Jim France and Jim Hunter, who was the general manager at the Alabama International Motor Speedway, aka Talladega, was also heavily involved in that event. I mean, he would come out and talk to us, we would go to dinner, he was just a regular guy, but well thought of, well respected, within the NASCAR community, and as time wore on, he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, as was Jim France. So uh, getting special awards, uh, and deservedly so. So we've got Daytona, we've got Talladega. The Enduro program's looking pretty good. We already had VIR. We're having some races at Mid-Ohio. This, this Enduro program was taking shape. A gentleman by the name of Johnny Jackman had a group called the Carolina Carters. And they had started to run some club races at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So my dad met up with Johnny. Johnny reached out to him and said, George, we've got to bring the WK to Charlotte Motor Speedway. And at that time, the Charlotte Motor Speedway was owned by a gentleman by the name of Bob Howard. 
Shortly after that, the uh, ownership was moved over to Bruton Smith, who owns it to this day with the uh, Speedway Motorsports uh, company. But Bob Howard met with my dad and Johnny and another gentleman that I'm sure most of you have heard of, Humpy Wheeler. And just like Jim France was critical in sealing the deal, so to speak, in that meeting in Daytona, Humpy Wheeler hit it off with my dad immediately. Liked the idea of karting, liked the idea of bringing in that young customer base to the Charlotte Motor Speedway, building the brand so they'd be fans of the Speedway forever. And there's a, that's a great concept, and, and it worked. So Humpy said, man, let's do this. So the club race with Carolina Carters grew into a WKA Nationals. Johnny Jackham was always there. He was a key element to those events. And WK was up and running with super speedways. Daytona, Talladega, and Charlotte. And it just grew and grew from there. And as you know, in an earlier podcast, we talked about the sprint track, which is beautiful, is now up and running again in Charlotte at the Speedway. Those relationships have been critical in the birth, the growth, and the survival of the World Karting Association. I'm going to tell you a story that occurred at Charlotte Motor Speedway one year. I was helping officiate the race. The race director was Ben Ray Griffith. And and if you've never met Ben Ray Griffith, I feel sorry for you because he's a gentleman. He's extremely knowledgeable about karting and life. And he's just an all-around good guy. He understood the karting business and he understood how to grow the WKA through the Enduro program. It was very successful in helping my dad and everybody in WK get that program going and growing. So I'm assisting Ben Ray in this event. Well, Sunday morning, we've got about seven or eight races, something like that. And back then, there wasn't too many combined classes. If Reed Heavy went out, it was Reed Heavy. If Yamaha, or if back then, probably some Yamaha classes, Yamaha went out, it was Yamaha. If it was a twin engine, if it was a junior, whatever it was, there was enough entries in each class that they pretty much ran on their own. A storm comes in, and I'm talking about a serious storm. This storm rolls in, and, I mean, we, we just can't believe it. It finally, after about a half an hour, it subsides. And these people are here to race at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. So we take a drive around the road course, and there is standing water everywhere. There's no way carts are going to get out on that road course and begin to run a race. But guess what was starting to dry? The oval. So Ben and I come up with this brilliant idea that we're going to run the Enduro National for WK at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And that particular day, we were only going to run the oval. Sounded good on paper. Unfortunately, we didn't send the memo to the scores as to what we were going to do. When they finally got word about it, and back then, you know, we didn't have computers or transponders. It was a pencil and a piece of paper. That was the computer. 
and some unbelievably talented talented people. Most of the time they were young ladies out there doing the scoring, but amazing they could record those numbers. They came to us and they said, you're really not serious, are you? We said, what do you mean? You expect us to score these races on the oval? These carts are going to be coming by in 10, 20, maybe 30 cart packs. We can't write all those numbers down. We'll do your best. We'll figure it out. And we walked away and looked at each other like, I don't know how we're going to figure this out, but we'll think of something. So sure enough, they ran the races. We get finished. We go to the scores and they go, we got nothing. There's no way we could have scored that. So I look at Ben. I said, Ben, what are we going to do? He says, I got an idea. He said, I want you to call up on the, on the PA. I want you to call up the first class to report to the scoring tower. The scoring tower is where the NASCAR scores worked. And it was a pretty good, good sized building. You can get about 20, 30 people in there. So we called up the first class. Let's say it was read heavy, read heavy drivers, all read heavy drivers. Please report to the scoring tower. They all come in the scoring tower and Ben and I are in there. We're the only WK officials in there and there's all these drivers. Ben looked at me with a, that smile. You'd have to know Ben to see that smile, but that smile on his face. And he said, okay, fellas, we got a little situation. We need your help. As you know, these races were great. You had a lot of fun, but it was impossible to score you. So we're going to rely on trust and honor. We need you to tell us who won the race. And don't you know, a fellow raised his hand and says, well, I won the race. We looked around the room and we said, is that right? And everybody went, yep. John won the race or whoever it was. Okay. Who finished second behind John? Another, another fellow raised his hand. Everybody pointed to him and they're nodding their head. We got our top five out of that meeting with no protest. Drivers left. I look at Ben and I said, I don't, I don't believe this. He says, I think we're on to something. We went through every class with that same method. Established our top five based on the honor system. And I'm telling you to this day, not one person said, I protest. That's not correct. I finished ahead of him. Everybody knew where they were and where they finished. We got our top five. We got our trophies handed out. And everybody went home with an experience. And those that finished in the top five, they went home with a trophy. How cool was that? And it was a case where drivers knew we had a challenge and they all grouped together and said, come on, we know where we're at with this. And they all worked with us. And that was pretty awesome. So that was my story about Charlotte. And that's kind of the introduction of super speedways to the WKA. What did the addition of those races mean to the WKA? Well, certainly it meant volume. A lot of entries, a lot of numbers. It brought credibility. The WK is racing at Daytona International Speedway. They're racing at Talladega. They're racing at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. These guys must have their act together. It created cash flow, something that was needed to continue to grow the organization. Memberships were coming in 
by the hundreds because everybody wanted to become a member and race at those places. New opportunities for sponsors and even worldwide recognition. It wasn't but two to three years after that that the 250cc supercarts came from Europe to race at Daytona International Speedway, the home of the 24 hours of Daytona, and they wanted to race on that same track. And we saw to it that it could happen. Well, that's about it for now on the WK History. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a time that I did live and experience. Is my story totally accurate? Probably not, but it's pretty close. And you've got uh, certainly my Facebook page, Racing with RK. Anything you want to add to that, I would love to hear some memories you have of those days because it only adds to the knowledge of what we, I think, all yearn for of back in the day. How was it? What are the experiences? So check out my Facebook page, Racing with RK. If you have any questions or have any ideas about a podcast, my email is racingwithrk at gmail.com. Race safe and race fast. Not too far down the road on a podcast, we're going to introduce four cycle racing. And we're going to be talking about people like Dan Klutz and Gil Horseman. And we're going to be bringing back into the picture Dick Wilson and how critical it was that Dick Wilson play a part in that four cycle program. Say a prayer for the first responders, uh, the firefighters, the policemen, the medical workers. Uh, They're out in this every day, and they need your thoughts and prayers. Uh, They're doing their best. Until next time, remember, racers don't live forever, but racing memories do. This is Racing with RK. We'll catch you on the next podcast.